0: Go ahead and take the speed up. Your number one now, runway two seven land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of EAA's The Green Dot Podcast, coming to you live from our headquarters here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I just lied; it's not live at all, but that's okay. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor for digital and print content and publications at EAA. And here with me on my left,
1: I'm Chris Henry, the EAA Museum Program Coordinator.
0: And across the table.
1: Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director.
0: Now, we have a, uh, a very special guest uh, coming uh, coming to us uh, over the magic of the Internet today. It is a uh, it is a real privilege uh, for all of us at EA to be welcoming uh, the Blue Angels to perform at Oshkosh for the very first time in just a couple of weeks. And joining us to talk about that a little bit is uh, number six, the opposing solo, Lieutenant Tyler Davies. Lieutenant Davies, sir, welcome.
2: Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show with you guys. Thanks.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's absolutely our, uh, our pleasure. So let's get to know you a little bit, uh, Tyler. What's, uh, what's uh, your background in aviation? How did you first get uh, get interested in flying? Was this happening as a kid?
2: Oh, you betcha, man. So uh, as it started with most of us, uh, my dad took me to an air show when I was first. Uh, first time I ever saw the Blues, first time I ever went to a major air show was when I was six years old. In Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. Uh my dad got his uh general aviation pilots license when he was fourteen years old, so he had been flying before he even had a driver's license. And uh he had always taken us around in the back of one fifty twos, one seventy twos, one eighty twos, King Harrison stuff. And I've grown up in the aviation world in the back seat of a plane. And you know, I said, you know what, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but uh I'm gonna join the Navy one day. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm going to fly those planes. And he kind of gave me the look like, oh, you betcha, son, go do it. So uh, right out of high school, uh, joined the Navy, uh, enlisted in the Navy right out of high school. Did about eight years enlisted, just shy of eight years. Uh, Did my degree after work every day. Uh, Took me about two years to get a four-year degree. I worked from 7 to 4 in the morning and then went to school uh, 5 to ten, five days a week uh, with the ultimate goal of, Hopefully getting a college degree one day, and uh, it kind of dawned on me halfway through the program. I'm like, wait a second. Now I'm getting this sheet of paper, which is actually making this thing actually a possibility. So simultaneously going to school to get my degree, I also started building an officer package to put in for uh, OCS with uh, hopefully one day getting the opportunity of getting selected as a pilot. Well, first uh, first chance, uh, I submitted the application I was lucky enough to get selected for an officer program, as well as a uh, pilot slot, and uh, went through flight school down here in Pensacola to Milton uh, for T-34s, and then to Meridian for T-45s, the jet trainer, and then out to uh, VFA-106, where I learned uh, the Super Hornet. uh, Ended up being a two-seat F-18 Foxtrot guy stationed in Lemoore. Uh, deployed around the world, came back to 106 uh, as an instructor, and then was selected for the Blue Angels back in 2015.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, just out of curiosity, what were you doing uh, uh, in your time in the Navy uh, when you were enlisted?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I was aviation electronics technician, so I joined the Navy in uh, 2000 and worked on F-14s, uh, E-2s. Prowlers, S3s, Helos, P3s, uh, and uh, C-130s at some point. So ended up uh, doing a lot of stuff with radios, radar, uh, anything basically electronics in the cockpit is what I pretty much worked on. Could you tell us a little bit about when you got selected for the Blue Angel team and and how that felt and just a little bit about how it happened? Yeah, so uh, I I rushed two years. I rushed uh, 2014 and 2015. Uh, The rush process is, it's a very interesting process. So uh, if you picture ambassador for the Navy and Marine Corps, that's pretty much what the team is looking for. Uh, For somebody that you can say, this person, uh, guy or girl, is uh, exactly what the team is looking for to represent the Navy and Marine Corps team for the next few years. So uh, when I was lucky enough to get selected in 2015, uh, you go through... process where uh, you need at least 1,250 tactical hours of flying in the F-18 to be able to apply uh, as a pilot for the uh, United States Navy Blue Angels. So you put in an application uh, if the team uh, for for the first couple of months of the season through March uh, all the way through about June is where you go to the show sites on your own, meet the team, observe the briefs, because it's kind of a dual interview, right? So you want to see if this is for you, and the team also wants to see if you're a good fit for the team. So uh, it's very cordial. Uh, everybody gets along very, very well. Uh, you, you you see how they interact with children. You see how we interact on a daily basis at air shows. Uh, you see how they dress, all the different stuff. Uh, you know, on the team, uh, we don't wear uh, any open-toed shoes. We have closed-toed shoes. We always have to have a belt. We always have to have our collared shirt on. Uh, and any time we're out in town, we also tuck in our shirts as well. So uh, very, um, if you think Sunday's best, uh, because that's what we're looking to do is represent the Navy and Marine Corps team, uh, both in and out of uniform uh, through community outreach and also air shows. So there I was, I uh, got selected in uh, July of 2015, and it was the most insane feeling I'd ever experienced in my life. I could not believe it when I called in a boss's office. And uh, he said, hey, Feed, dude, congratulations, man. You've made the team. And uh, at first I was like, dude, you got to be messing with me. There's no way. (laughs) He's like, no, dude, you're good, man. You're in there. I was like, what? So it was uh, a pretty awesome experience.
0: So he, uh, he called you Feed, and I understand that's short for your call sign Feedbag. Can you tell us just a little bit about that?
2: You betcha. So in the military, uh, at least in the aviation, you don't get to choose your call sign. They choose it for you. So uh, I'm known to always have food on me at all times. So, uh, you know, like I said, I was a two-seat guy. So anytime I'd go in country or go on a combat mission, uh, the backseater guys would want to come fly with me because they knew I had food at all times. So, um, you know, one of the guys is like, hey, man, I'm starving. I was like oh, I got a pizza. He's like, "What do you mean you got a pizza?" He's like, "I got a pizza. You want a pizza?" He's like, "How do you have a pizza up there?" I was like, "Don't worry about it. You want, you want a slice?" He's like, "He's like, yeah, sure." So, yeah, he hands me the. Uh, I hand him a pizza, and sure up and takes a couple of slices and hands it back. He's like, "Dude, I can't believe you got a pizza." I was like, "Yeah." Well,
0: <laughs> how, do you, how do you fit a pizza in the cockpit of an F eighteen?
2: Well, I, uh, you know, I, so I knew a lot of the guys on the ship that uh, I was previously stationed with when I was enlisted. So they would always take care of me and make gourmet food and stuff. And uh, they put in a little box and I stuck it in my little helmet bag and (laughs) and brought it on a plane. (laughs)
1: That's just great. That's amazing. Yeah. It's good times. So can you tell us a little bit about – I I imagine this – this varies depending on the time of year, but what does a, a typical day for the the, uh, the Blue Angels look like? Um, I, I guess maybe during training and then uh, during the air show season is probably a little bit different.
2: Yeah. So once you uh, once the salute drop happens at the end of November, um, be more like the middle of November there, right around the November 12th, our Pensacola home show, uh, that previous team of that year is done. It's like <whistles> salute drop, bam, done next team is now taking place. So, uh, from that point, uh, it's funny. You say, Hey, I know how to fly a plane. Everything's great. You know, you guys can, if you guys are pilots, you guys can go jump in a plane and go fly it right now. But a mind shift is, uh, as we have that salute drop, we are now no longer able to do air shows because it's a new team. We now go into our winter training mode and now we need 120 flights to be able to work up to What the team just did about 10 minutes ago at that point so uh, we'll do two and three flights a day six days a week Uh, we'll do pensacola winter training for a couple of weeks prior to christmas and then the entire team will pick up and we will depart the pattern and head out to el centro for the next two and a half months where we will fly two and three times a day six days a week up until the first air show in march uh so our morning routine is normally you wake up right around five or so um You'll fly two and three times in that day. Uh, you'll normally leave the squadron somewhere around six-ish. Uh, you'll go straight to the gym. We also have to work out six days a week uh, because, if, if, for those that don't know, we don't wear G-suits in, in the cockpit. And the reason for that being is if you wear a G-suit with the close proximity to each aircraft that we fly, as you start to pull G, that g suits going to inflate, therefore not allowing us to get super tight and super close to the other aircraft. So... Uh, that's where that's com- combating those G's also going to the gym and working out heavy legs, heavy abs, uh, and a lot of core strengths to be able to combat those G's on a daily basis, two and three times each day. So, uh, in March, once we have our first show, then we go into what we call show mode. Now we are a, a show ready squadron and then we will transit every single weekend. We'll be in a different city performing uh, air shows and also doing our community outreach portion, which is one of my favorite parts as well. Is being able to go out into the town, meet the general public, inspire people of all ages, men and women alike, to just go do something awesome. It might not be to go, uh, strive to go into the military, but just to go choose a goal that's so unattainable that when you actually arrive at that dream, you turn around and you look at your footsteps and you're like, how on earth did I get here? I can't believe that. Goodness, like, does anybody else see this? And it's just, it's the <laughs> most amazing feeling in the world. Uh, it, you know one of my major things that I try to tell around the country to a lot of people is that the 2017 Blue Angel team may never know their their outreach we may never realize it you know but maybe one day maybe 10 15 years down the road somebody on the team may bump into somebody that said hey I know you you motivated me to go do this and you inspired me to go do this and that is like the ultimate you know check in the box that said hey it was all worth it everything that we did that year however long ago it was back in 2017 it was all worth it because we motivated you to go do whatever you thought was not possible which is pretty cool
1: yeah absolutely um, i wanted to go back just briefly to the um, where you're talking about um, kind of the work up that you guys do prior to the air show season what does that look like how how do you how do you go from you know the the, the team at the beginning of the season to the team that's that's actually performing. How do you build up those maneuvers? Do you do, do, do you, do you have drills that you run almost like a sport practice or is it uh, more of just uh, kind of tightening and tightening and tightening until you have it?
2: Yeah, that's uh, also a, a great question. And, and normally that is misunderstood how we do that. So uh, like I said, back in November, boom, it's over. We start from scratch and now i go to a building block approach. So uh, the diamond trains separately, The solos train separately. uh, And then we go out and literally just fly on each other's wing. We don't do anything else. First flight you do is you just get used to uh, flying on a spring. So right now we're on a 40-pound spring. And if you picture making a fist, putting your other hand on top of your fist and pushing it away while you're trying to pull it in uh, to your chest, that's pretty much what it's like. So uh, basically the reason why that is is that allows you to be able to control the nose of that aircraft Similar to driving down the freeway. If you picture driving a car, you don't really know exactly where those wheels are. You kind of make a little left, a little right, a little left. But then when you take a turn, you know exactly where the wheels are at because you are controlling that that car. Similar to the jet flying on the spring, you start on a 10-pound spring, and then you just fly straight and level. Just two jets and four jets. We just fly straight and level. And then come back and we talk about how our deviations, hey, look, we really want you to tighten up, uh, you know, you're kind of bobbling there, just look to fly, because we have certain checkpoints on the jet that we fly. Uh, And then slowly but surely, we'll step it in just a little bit, get a little bit closer to each other, go do that same exact flight. And we'll see, okay, now stuff happens a lot quicker, because now you're a lot closer. Then once you've shown that you can fly straight and level, and you can fly very easy, mild turns, Then for the diamond, they'll start doing slow rolling maneuvers, like a very, very easy barrel roll kind of stuff like that. They won't put the gear down or do anything like that. Uh, They'll just start taking nice, easy rolls, nice wing overs and such. And then it's a building block approach to that. Uh, For the solos, we don't even start opposing each other until we get to El Centro. So we're working on our timing pattern, uh, which essentially is being able to if, you, if you've seen the show before, the solos try and hit beak-to-beak beak directly over center point. So five's contract is he's going to get the solos to center point. Six's contract is he's going to make the hit happen, essentially make it look like we're going beak-to-beak beak with each other. Uh, so we'll do six weeks of just flying the timing pattern where five will fly on six's wing and check step-by-step-by-step-by-step by step by step by step and be like, okay, hey, look, let's work on this let's work on this let's work on this once the basics are down when we get to El Centro then we start opposing each other at very wide distances once we've trusted each other that we know we can continuously repeat that exact same distance as we cross we slowly but surely step it in to where you get into the air show mode then once the diamond has shown that they know how to do their job the solos have shown that they know how to do their job then you incorporate another timing problem and now we do our first flight together to where now the solos and the diamond are integrated and we start building the show now that creates its own uh, timing problems The wind if you picture bad weather rain whatever uh, you know, buildings whatever type of geographical issues that are out there that forces the diamond to have to change the profile the solos have to adjust to that as well so there's a lot of timing that goes into the air show that people just don't even think about you expect to see diamond, couple of seconds solos, couple of seconds diamond, couple of seconds solos. All of that's part of the magic, which makes the air
1: show happen.
0: As you guys are, as you said, starting from scratch every time like this. There's a rotation though through uh, through the team. It's my understanding, like when you joined the team, you were you were flying the seven jet. Uh, now you've moved up, uh, and you're you're number six, the opposing solo. So, would number five have been opposing solo the previous season?
2: That is true, yep. So we turn over almost about 50% of the squadron every single year. Okay. Which is pretty insane that we've been doing this for 71 years. All right. And we still continue to be able to provide the excellence and precision that the Blue Angels are of what people know them to be today. So uh, if you're selected as the boss, you have to be a prior commanding officer of a fleet-going squadron to be able to be selected as one. You'll be the boss for two years. If you're selected as two, which is a right wingman, you stay two for two years. If you're three, three becomes four, and then four leaves the team. If you get selected as seven, you're the narrator, VIP uh, pilot, you're the media pilot, key influencer pilot, uh, as well as pretty much the debt officer in charge every single weekend when we go to a different show site. Uh, when we get up there, you guys will see how busy seven actually is. He's definitely by far the most busiest person on the team. Um, seven will do that for a year. And then based on what one through six and the uh, the other Old on the team decide, they will choose where uh, seven goes. So seven, if two is open, he could go to two. If three is open, he could go to three. Or if six is open, he could go to six. And obviously, he's going to request where he wants to go, and the team will make the decision there. So then you'll fly six, and then the next year after that, you'll transition to five. Five will train six. Four will train the Diamond for each year.
0: Oh, really? So it's not necessarily the uh, the boss who's training the diamond, it's four, it's it's a slot pilot.
2: Well, so this year, uh, we have a second year boss and a a second year four. So two and three are new. Ah, So one doesn't need very much training at all. One is kind of training two and three a little bit to say, hey, look, this is kind of what I screwed up last year. Look at this, look at this, Uh, work on these, where four... Is kind of the, he's the training officer for the Delta. So he's the airborne safety officer and the training officer. So he is really working one through three uh, to be like, hey, look, we need to do that. Push here, look at that. You, you pulled a little too much here. Let's work on that. Well, next year, two and four are going to be the senior guys. And we'll have a new boss and a new left wingman. Okay. So now two will help train one and four will help train three. But overall, we'll be training the diamond uh, as well.
0: So uh, you mentioned that uh, for uh, boss, that uh, that role has to have been a, com- a CO of something. Uh, you said a, a squadron commander or commanding officer of a, of a squadron in the yes, past, sir. but they do yes, not necessarily sir. have to have or or may not have any prior experience with uh, the Blue Angels themselves, right?
2: Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yep, that is correct.
0: Does that ever does that ever happen though, or you, do you have somebody within the team, you know, two or three or four or whatever? who then later will come back to be the boss and come to another stint?
2: Very, very, very rarely has that ever happened. Interesting. That's
0: very interesting. Yeah,
2: and the, reason, and the reason that that is, is that also allows for, there to always be a, a fresh set of eyes. Because if you bring them back and be like, well, well, we did it like this way right. back when. So it, it helps to keep the team current, it helps the team evolve, helps the team be able to stay with current times Uh, for what's going on. So right now, we're on our 31st year of flying the Hornet. Uh, Very soon, we should be going to the F-18 Super Hornet. Uh, Who knows when that's going to be? We'll see. Um, But it should be uh, be an absolutely awesome demonstration once that happens. So you're talking about the F-18 Hornet and Super Hornet. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to fly the Hornet?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) We'll we'll uh, sit back. We'll light a cigar. (laughs) How 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 much time you got? Yeah.
2: uh it is it is such a rush it's it's definitely a rush to be able to fly this airplane uh, to be able to pull back on the stick and max performance this aircraft uh, one of my favorite uh, favorite parts of the show is is where uh, the sneaks happen uh, I will sneak from behind the crowd uh, just under supersonic and I will bury the stick in my lap and go from wings level to 90 degrees nose high on a max performance pull which is a pretty aggressive pull all the way up and uh, to be able to, uh, fly this aircraft to the max performance capability of this aircraft directly over the treetops for the crowd is there's there's really no words that I can put uh, over to you guys to let you know how it feels it's just the it's the greatest experience in the world it really is uh, and to be able to do the same exact thing in a gray jet in the fleet uh, when we as we represent our Navy and Marine Corps brothers and sisters that are flying these aircraft in gray jets uh, it's it's I remember the first time I flew an F 18 as a student, I was screaming going the whole way down the runway as the first time I plugged the afterburners. I was like, oh, 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 oh. I mean, it was the craziest experience in the world. Same exact feeling the first time I ever did a cat shot off the carrier. I mean, I probably hit a note that I've never screamed before.
0: Uh, it just pulled it out
2: of me. There's nothing I could do about it. I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. Let's do this again
0: you uh, you so, almost dropped yeah, your pizza at that point <laughs> <laughs> you, I,
2: I had to hand that to somebody else <laughs> Here,
0: take this hold my pizza yeah. so i i guess you wouldn't have experienced this yet i'm I'm assuming but i i'm be curious to you know after you you spend uh you know a considerable amount of time flying the jets with the springs, do you have any sense for what that transition is like going back to uh going back to a fleet jet
2: well it's funny is that uh I, I can take the spring on and off. Okay. So uh, in the show, we start up, and, and a part of our ground procedure is I actually reach down and take this big handle, and I stick it onto the stick, which now puts the stick under the spring tension. Ah, okay. When we, tra- when we transit from show site to show site, uh, once we get above a certain altitude, we'll, we'll go off the spring and kind of relax and take it easy. But it's a great question that you ask that because most of the time I'll just continue to fly on the spring because I'm so used to flying on it. That now I'm like, ooh, I don't really like how this feels. <laughs> this is kind of weird. Uh, it's kind of mushy and it's kind of soft, and I I really can't control the nose of the aircraft. Where now I just I'll just transit five or six hundred miles on on the spring now because that's just what I'm used to doing. So um, it's definitely a different feeling. Definitely. To put in perspective, it's like taking whatever plane you're flying for the general aviation flyers that are listening, and just trimming completely nose down, and just <laughs> flying on that. That's almost exactly what it's like.
0: I had an instructor who did that to me as a punishment uh, when I was first learning, because I wasn't as uh, actively using the trim as I should have been. So he said, OK, fine. We're going to trim it full nose down, and, and we're going to fly there you go. like this. And uh, I've I, I, never forgotten that lesson, apparently. And, uh, and yeah. that instructor, if he's listening, <laughs> I hate you.
2: <laughs>
0: you know who you are, Kurt Selbert. <laughs>
2: Oh, there's the name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so well, talk- guys, I am
2: so I am so ecstatic to be able to come up to Oshkosh um, and be able to come fly for you guys uh, to bring the team up there. It, it means a lot to be uh, to be a part of the uh, the show up in Oshkosh this year. I have never been to Oshkosh. I'm excited to be there. I'm going to be like a kidney candy store, just running all over the place, seeing all the planes seeing all the activities and all the venues and everything that's out there. So I am super, super excited to be able to get up there and perform for you guys.
1: Absolutely. And um, I guess one of our questions is um, when you're not flying, um, and we ask this to a lot of our guests that we have on the show that are coming from all different backgrounds, um, what are you looking uh, most forward to at Oshkosh? Um, Either, you know, an aircraft here on the grounds or... Or anything else like that that's maybe not directly related to, uh, to obviously, your very awesome job that you'll be uh, putting on display as you come here?
2: Uh, I can sum that up in one word. I'm looking forward to the experience, the whole thing. So the planes, the people, the community. Uh, I mean, you can just tell. You know, when you go to an air show or when you go to a big event, uh, like just recently we did Sun and Fun. Um, and that was a very, you know, a, a similar version. And there's just an aura when you show up, everybody's excited. Everybody speaks the same language. Everybody's just, Oh man. Like and everyone's just throwing compliments at everybody. It doesn't matter what you fly. You know, people are like, Oh man, check out this engine. Look at that new prop. Look at these wings. Look at that. Let's talk about this while I was flying here. And this, I'm just so excited for the experience to be able to go talk to the people, uh, have them ask whatever questions they want. Uh, go inspire people and then put on an awesome demonstration for the people there, but then just to land the planes, shut them down, get out, continue to smile and continue to enjoy the experience.
0: That's excellent. I think you summed it up, uh, summed it up beautifully, especially for somebody who hasn't been here. Um, and you know, I can say that, uh, I don't think we're going to disappoint you just as I know you won't disappoint us. (laughs) I'm pretty sure of
2: that (laughs) for the people that I know up there that are, uh, that, you know, like Dennis, uh, He's just, he has pumped me up beyond belief because I, I just can't wait to get there. I really
0: can. And you're, you're talking, of course, of our buddy Dennis Dunbar, who's been a guest on the show. And uh, and I can safely say that this is one instance when you can actually trust him. Uh, most of the time we uh, we keep him on a short leash. He's over here grinning. He's, he's eavesdropping in this on this episode.
1: Careful, he can hit you. He's he can, he can yeah. hit me, but uh, but nobody can hear him. So
0: In podcasting, no one can hear you scream. So Let's bounce around a little bit uh, for just a second here, Tyler. Can you talk a little bit about the, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the most uh, uh, interesting things about, about your performance is the ground show, uh, marching out to the jets. Can you talk a little bit about the traditions behind that or, or step us through how that normally yeah. goes?
2: Yeah, so being a part of the, of the Navy's uh, flight demonstration squadron, we showcase the pride professionalism from start to shutdown. And by that is all the men and women that serve on our team, all of our maintenance personnel. Uh, it starts with them, and they absolutely provide the most stellar aircraft that that the that the United States can possibly provide. Uh, for those that don't know, we fly the oldest jets in the fleet, hands down, bar none, by far the oldest aircraft that uh, the Navy and Marine Corps have, and we max perform these aircraft every single time they take off. So. The men and women that uh, perform the maintenance on our aircraft, uh, which totals about 130 people are in our squadron, including the officers. Um, they do—they perform miracles at night. So if a jet breaks or if anything like that happens, they are up all night long to provide these aircraft to where they are set and ready to rock in the morning when the show starts. So they show the military bearing and the pride professionalism. of the Marine Corps team as they walk out to the jets, open them up, get them set and ready to go. And then as the pilots show up, uh, then we do a a military bearing style walk down. So all six pilots will walk down uh, in front of the jets, showing the military bearing um, of the aircraft, of the pilots, of the maintainers. And then we will walk into the jets and in four minutes and four seconds from the moment the candidates come down, we're taxiing. So we've already got our clearance. We've already got our INS's aligned. Uh, We've got all our waypoints in there, we've got all our comms set, everything's ready to go, and we all do this simultaneously, and then we taxi out, and boom, we don't look at the jet, we don't pre-flight, we don't do anything, we get in the jet, sit down, close canopy, and ready to rock. The other part that's actually really awesome is that uh, just this past weekend, uh, we got our Fat Albert back, full up and flying. So uh, Fat Albert will be the ones that will open the show for us, which is super awesome, demonstration to sit there and watch uh c-130 hercules bending that thing around and just max performing this humongous airplane is definitely a sight to see and that's our major question that we get every single weekend for the past year they're like when is fat albert coming back when is fat albert coming back and pensacola exploded when fat albert started the show just this past weekend i mean they absolutely loved having fat albert fly
0: that's fantastic. We're certainly excited that uh, that it made it back online in time for for our show. So.
2: And sir, one of the things that uh, your role is is the uh, the opposing solo. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what what exactly you do? Yeah. So as the opposing solo, it's kind of funny. The joke is my job is to oppose five. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
0: in, in everything, right? In
2: and out. You guys go to a movie.
0: Whatever content. he chooses isn't good enough. You you argue with that. <laughs> You guys can't go out to dinner.
2: That has been a long standing history of five and six is that uh, I, I'm supposed to oppose you. So <laughs> I have to. doesn't matter what you decide. I have to oppose. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I am the uh, baby solo, as you call it, uh, as you can say, and then he is the lead solo. Uh, so he trains me how to do my job. And then uh, where five and six fall out is on the Delta Formation uh number five is on the far left wing, number six is on the far right wing, uh, once we join up in deltas, So he teaches me how to fly the timing pattern, he teaches me how to fly down low, uh, you know, down to 200 feet, sometimes down to 100 feet, um, and very, very fast, sometimes in the neighborhood of 400 to 500 knots as we oppose each other, uh, and then we max perform the aircraft and come back around and do it again, time and time again, which is pretty awesome.
0: That's excellent. I guess as we uh, as we start looking at, uh, at at wrapping things up here, Tyler, um, is there? You know, you, you've talked a couple of times uh, throughout the uh, the interview today about uh, about your roles as ambassadors, and you spoke about how you uh, you yourself were inspired uh, inspired into aviation by air shows and, and seeing the Blue Angels as a kid. Do you have uh, Do you have advice for young people today? If you say you know. Uh, a kid comes up to you at a show and says, "I, you know, I want to fly or I want to do what you do." What do you tell those kids?
2: Yeah, man. Uh, you know, and it's funny is it's not just kids. Sure. It's it's, pe- it's people of all ages that uh, I have a couple of different uh, mantras that I say. So, uh, if you picture an Olympic racetrack, you know, just a track at a high school or something, uh, a running track, and if you picture one lap. That's what you get in life. You get one lap, start to finish. And by the time you get to the finish line, uh, you look back and you say, I wish I would have, or I'm glad I did. Finish the sentence however you want, right? Uh, And as you go through, as you run around that track and you look at that and you go, hey man, I really, really, really want to do this in life. My mantra to that is put your dreams in a rocket launcher, aim at a star, hit the button and go along for the ride. We've all had our fair share of no's in life. And to me, anytime somebody tells me no, that's motivation like fuel on the fire. But they're like, hey, man, I don't think think you can do that. You're like, okay, well, now I'm going to do it just because you told me I couldn't do it. Just to prove that anything is possible. So no matter what somebody wants to do in life, go for it. Shoot for the stars. So when you arrive at the most difficult goal that you have set for yourself, You look back and you're like, dude, I cannot believe I got here. This is so awesome because really that's the American dream, the whole thing. People come here, they're like, hey, I want to do this, I want to do this, I'm going to do this. And then we put hurdles in our own way, going back to that racetrack theory, right? Every hurdle that's on the track is something that we have put there. Just move the hurdles out of the way and just go for the gold. Just absolutely go out there and crush it. So no matter what age they are, no matter who they are, where they come from, they can arrive at any goal that they want, which is an awesome, awesome, awesome experience.
0: Well, I'm coming from somebody who has worked as hard as you have uh, to get to an amazing place in a in a career. That's uh, that's sound advice, and uh, and you're you're uh, you're living proof that it worked. That's yeah. I, I'm still amazed at the fact, picturing you working, uh, you know, working active duty as an enlisted guy in the Navy, and then doing your doing your four year degree in two years on the side. Uh, that schedule I, I I was exhausted just hearing you describe it. so, um, so uh, that's uh, like I said that's a that's a good profound message. but uh, anyway, uh, Tyler as we're uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, we just want to thank you once again for taking some time to join us. We're of course looking forward to the performance and hopefully getting a chance to say hello and and, uh, and uh, chat with you a little bit when you're uh, when you're on the ground here in Oshkosh in just a couple of weeks.
2: Absolutely. It was my pleasure to get to spend the morning with you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and uh,
0: letting me speak my
2: piece about uh, the demonstration about how much the Blues care uh, about Oshkosh. We are so looking forward to coming up here uh, and performing for you guys. And Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to meeting you guys as well.
0: All right, sir. Well, thanks so much again. And, uh, thanks as always to, uh, to Ty over there, who's, uh, playing the role of producer and we'll be editing this together for us. Thanks to everyone who is out there uh, listening. We, uh, always appreciate the feedback that we get. Please, uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and head over to iTunes or Google play and subscribe to the green dot. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, you know, send us a note and we'll, uh, Hide we'll, it. We'll, yes, we'll hide it. That's exactly <laughs> what we'll do, Chris. We we won't show that to anybody. So so keep uh, the positive feedback coming. All right. With that, then uh, thanks again all to uh, all involved, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.